Thanks, Justin. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for praying for me. And uh, I really appreciate it and felt it. And thank you for um, uh, being patient with me Sunday. So I'm glad to get that day behind us. Um, from, from my perspective, I, ho- I mean, it was the Lord's day. That was good. And coming together was good. But thank you so much for your prayers. We want to continue our look at the life of Moses tonight. We've got two more lessons. Um, uh, After tonight, we will talk about the event in Moses' life where we're very familiar. He lost his temper and ended up not going into the promised land. God granted him the privilege of seeing it. Uh, We're going to talk about the dynamics of that. We're going to talk about finishing well. And then um, if, if if we have time before... Christmas, um, I think we'll still have, I'll have one more Wednesday night because um, we've got missions and then we've got Thanksgiving. And then uh, I might just have one more. I'm not sure. Um, but we'll get, him, we'll get him to heaven one way or the other. We'll get him to heaven. It, it'll, it'll either take one or two more lessons. But uh, I know the next lesson is really about um, that moment when just seeing Moses snapped. And we want to talk about two things. We want to talk about finishing well and dealing with our tendencies. That uh, we, we, you know, what got Moses in trouble to begin with as a young man? Lost his temper, killed an Egyptian who was in the wrong. How did his life end? Basically, he lost his temper with the people of God who were also wrong. Um, It just seems like poor old Moses couldn't catch a break, you know. But but what do we do with those things that seem to hang on? And uh, that's the way we'll end his life as well as a, a celebration of his life as well. Father, help us tonight. We give praise to you and thanks in Jesus' name. We thank you as we get closer and closer to the holiday season. We are so excited about uh, what you are doing and what you are saying in our hearts We thank you that even though around us there is all kinds of chaos and confusion and anger, we thank you that there is a rest that remains to the people of God. Help us to learn during this time uh, how to enter that rest, how to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Um, We give you thanks and praise because you are in charge and you are sovereign. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're discovering God's hand and God's heart. Tonight we're talking about murmuring, glory, and griping. Um, every time I do a biological study for, of a Bible character, especially when, whether it's like we do on a Sunday where I preach David a while back, or a Wednesday night where it's a little more of a relaxed approach, I always end up cutting at least half of the messages that I've developed. And I'm putting in one message tonight, uh, I think it was six messages originally. Now don't panic. That doesn't mean I'm going to give you the points of six messages, but I'm going to, I I took those six messages and, and, and got a couple of highlights that I wanted to focus on this evening. The Bible story that we'll be covering tonight um, in general covers chapters 19 to 24 of Exodus. Um, 19 is what we're going to read and be focused on. That's Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, And let me encourage you, lest I forget to say this, there is so much detail uh, that you can go into and so many good books um, about Moses. There's one by uh, Alan Redpath, um, one, um, the fellow's name just left me. Uh, I, I love the books that were written in the, in the earlier part of the 20th century. There was a, a scholarship and a devotion that was blended together so beautifully during that time. Um, um, I, I'll get the name for you before we finish the series, uh, the names of these books. But, um, for instance, just Moses on, on Mount Sinai, um, you know, if you watch the Ten Commandments, which I like to do from time to time, um, <clears throat> isn't it amazing when you watch that movie how clean Egypt was and how well-groomed everyone was? And, um, you know, but anyway, um, 
if, if, you, if you looked at that movie, you'd have the impression that Moses went once, maybe twice up the mountain. But when you study this in detail, you find that depending on how you interpret a couple of things, between seven and eight times, seven and nine times, he went up to the mountain and had an encounter with God. And we're only going to talk about an incident tonight. Uh, but that was chapter 19. In chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments, the teaching of the Lord about idols and altars. Uh, chapter 21 and 22 were about civil laws. He talked about this is how you live with each other. Um, chapter 23 is more civil laws, but then he also talked about the Sabbath, the three annual festivals, the presence of God's angel that would go with them. And then in chapter 24, the covenant was confirmed. Now next week, we're going to scoot ahead, not next week, next lesson, we're going to scoot ahead to, to Numbers. But let's read Exodus chapter 19 together. Um, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on angels' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I'm going to interrupt myself about three times as we read through this chapter just to to give you an observation from a lesson that I'm not going to teach. Um, it was God's plan for all of his people to be priests unto him. But because of the rebellion of the people and the hardness of their hearts, God ended up choosing one tribe. He basically said, those of you who are for God in this situation, come over here. And the, and the tribe of Levi stood with him. And Levi became the, 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 um, the tribe of priests. And their inheritance wouldn't be land. And at first glance, you think, boy, they're getting cheated. They didn't get any land. But the Lord said, I myself will be your inheritance. God said, I'm going to give you something that land and money and riches can't give you. Now, they had, they had cities where they could live in the tribal areas. But their inheritance wasn't land. Their inheritance was the presence of the Lord. Now, let me say this. What we're going to find tonight and what I want to talk about primarily is this. We are coming to a time that the church begins to walk in her destiny as she was meant to. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Now, that does not mean that he's coming back for a church that finally gets it right and is perfect. Um, I, I don't know that there's ever been a generation of Christians that got everything right and is perfect. And is perfect. We, we are a bride without spot or wrinkle because of his grace and his blood. Uh, that is not saying when the church gets it right, I'll come back. That's what a lot of, a lot of Pentecostals, a lot of charismatics are teaching that, uh, you know, a kingdom now theology that says we've got we've to turn the earth into what it ought to be for Jesus. And then when we get it right, he will come back. Now, I believe we ought to do everything in our power to change this earth for good. Uh, our students are taught the seven mountain mandate uh, by Lance Wallnow and some other people, or, or at least they used to be. I assume they still are. And I don't have any problem with that as long as you understand, work on these seven mountains. But the enemy will not be destroyed until Jesus appears and he will destroy him with the brightness of his coming, is what Paul said to the Thessalonians. Now, the bottom line is it takes both. We are to do our best but the bottom line is that this kingdom will not come in its fullness until Jesus returns. We don't have the ability to do it until he returns. You say, well, then what's the use in trying? Why don't we just wait till he comes? Well, a lot of us kind of have taken that theology on. We said, well, world's going to hell in the handbasket. I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to go to the lake, read my Bible and wait for Jesus to come, you know. And I think that's wrong. But it, the way I've explained it is, is like this. 
And I believe this is a, a biblical approach. Forgive me those of you that have heard this. Um, but when I was a kid, my dad used to give us work assignments and um, my, my brothers were older than me and they had gone off. One had gotten married, one was in college and I was the only one left at home. And uh, they did their share of work growing up years. Now it was my turn. And my dad would say, do this, 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 and this. And, and it, it was fair. I didn't mind doing that. I've never minded that. I always felt like my dad taught us to have a good work ethic. But I realized there were some things I couldn't get done by myself. There were some things that took two or three people to move. There were some things that were too high for me to climb and get. And I was concerned because my dad was the greatest dad on planet earth, but when he gave you instructions, he meant it. And I remember one time saying, you know, I was really concerned saying, daddy, I don't think I can do this and this and this. And he looked at me and said, well, of course you can. I would never expect you to do that. And he, I said, well, you just told me to do it. And he said, well, let me put it to you another way. This is what I want done. This is what we need to accomplish. You do everything you can, do everything you can. And when I come home, I'll help you and we'll set the rest in order. And that's the way I believe the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. We do everything we can, but it won't be complete until Jesus comes and the, the brightness of his appearing will destroy the enemy and he will rule and reign and uh, everything will be set right. But we can't do that. He has to do that, but we do our part. Now, um, the, the other thing that I, that I wanted to say, um, uh, where, what verse was I at? The priests. Uh, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These words you are to speak to the Israelites. The other thing I wanted to say is that so much of Christianity revolves around our intimacy with the Lord. Um, we have not historically understood spiritual intimacy the way we need to. It's, it's, it's for those saints out there in our mind. Um, we call them spiritual giants. But let me tell you, a giant is an abnormality. Uh, I, I'm not interested in spiritual giants. I'm interested in all of us living up to the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. And the church has never taken that seriously. And when there was a lack, we didn't know how to fix it. So what did we do when the church began to get worldly? We, we established monasticism and we established the monks. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not against monasticism in church history, I'm not against the monks. Some of the greatest witnesses for the Lord Jesus were, were men in monasteries and women that had dedicated their lives to the Lord. I don't have any problem with that. But the problem I do have is that as good as the monastic order, the Benedictine monks that were, they, they embraced that spirituality by living a lifestyle that the common man couldn't embrace. Now, I, I hope I'm making myself clear. There are people with a special anointing and a special call. God says, you go over here and you do this. I don't have any problem with that. But we must not leave spiritual intimacy with them. Um, you know, um, the amazing thing to me about Enoch, who was one of the most powerful men in the Old Testament, it says Enoch um, had sons and daughters. He lived so many years, had sons and daughters, and then he walked with God. You know, you know what that means? It, it means he had to get kids up and fix their cereal. He had to figure out how to pay for a college education. Yeah, you know, Mrs. Enoch had to sew Royal Ranger patches on the uniforms. They did, they had to do all of that and they still walked with God. So I think one of the things that the Lord is doing is he's trying to restore the normalcy of a life of intimacy with him. Okay. Um, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. 
the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud. Now, God knows all this. God wasn't up there on the mountain. I'm wondering what, I wonder what they'll say. I wonder if they'll go for this. You know, God knows. But God followed these things very deliberately so the people could understand every step they were taking. Um, I'm going to come down in a dense cloud so that the people will hear, the, uh, hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Okay. Um, God said this by inference. He says, if you are a spiritual leader, a leader in your home, a leader in a ministry, a pastor of a church, a, a, a teacher in a ministry, whatever you are, the best way you can earn credibility is to spend time with God and hear him. And that will show up in your teaching or your preaching or your ministry. And, the, and that's the way to vindication. Um, it's not education. Education can be good. It, it's not talent. Talent can be good. It's always better to follow somebody with talent than somebody who has no talent, you know. I understand that. But the key is not these things. The key is, is, is it evident that you're in communion with God? Um, then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain uh, is to be put to death. Now, this seems odd because in other passages, it seems like God wanted them to approach and then chastise them for not being willing to approach. Now, what is God doing? God is explaining to them how important the concept of intimacy is. And God is saying this, if you're going to be intimate with me, be intimate with me, but don't play games. You know, the way the book of Revelation closes, let he that is wicked do wickedness still. Let he that is righteous do righteousness still. You know, what, what, what does that mean? God wasn't saying, well, if you're in sin, just go ahead and stay in sin. No, he was saying, it matters how you live. Make up your mind that, that you will put teeth into the way that you live. Okay. Um, they are to be, um, now if, if they, now he says, if you cross, you know, this is when they said, yeah, we want to see God. And then when God shows up, they say, Moses, that's what we pay you for. You go here, God, we'll stay down here. You tell us what he said. And that's the average church in America. If they're even interested in what God says, they want their pastor or their teacher or their bishop or their priest to tell them what God said so they don't have to get too close. Thank God you're not like that. And I, and I mean that. I'm, I'm so proud of you. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. He, sa he says, even in judgment, don't touch them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast May they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. That was just a ritual symbolic way of honoring the Lord. A, a, a washing of your clothes was a symbolic way of we're coming to you with cleansed hearts and hands. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Now, again, forgive me. I've talked about this Anytime we've done Old Testament studies on the law of Moses, but I know that we have a new audience um, online and we have some new believers. I, I, I want to say here, forgive me, I, probably I'm looking, those of you I can see, probably two thirds of you already know this, but God is not against sex. He created it for our enjoyment and for the procreation of the race, God is not anti-sex. But the prohibitions that you find against sex in the law, in the Torah, they had a very specific reason. In fact, a lot of the strange things you see, strange to us in the Torah, it was because of the land they were going into. Um, and the reason that they were not to uh, have sexual relations just before approaching the Lord was not because it was dirty or unclean or unpermitted in any way. 
it was because the people they were going in to depose, the Canaanites, their worship centered around sexual activity. The, the ziggurats, the towers and temples of Baal, um, all of the worship revolved at one point or another. It eventually ended up with two things. It ended up almost all of it with child sacrifice. Uh, and it, and it, it, that was not all the time. But I mean, any time is too much. But it almost always uh, um, ended with sexual activity. And there were levels of worship. There was heterosexual worship. There was homosexual worship. There was bestiality. There was uh, uh, child abuse. All of these things, the, the, the more you wanted to worship Baal, the more perverted your behavior became. And so when God says, um, I don't want you to have sex before coming to worship me, we, we don't understand that. And, you know, you don't need to go home and say, boy, that puts a, that puts a bad cloud over Saturday night at our house. That, that's not what this was about. It was for Israel. And, and what God was saying was simply this. What you think might be worship is not worship at all. I'm going to teach you how to worship. And that's what he would do uh, in the book of Leviticus. He would teach them how to sacrifice, how to have the festivals, how to have the feasts, how to, what was clean and what was unclean. So I just wanted to say that God is not opposed to sex. Um, on the morning, but he does want it in marriage. I probably need to say that in this culture. I need to, I need to clarify. He does want it in marriage between husband and wife. Um, on the morning of the third day, I'm sorry, there was, uh, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out by camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended uh, on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called, to Moses, called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Guys, I don't know if you're understanding this idea of seeing the Lord, of intimacy with God. It's so important that it be done right, that God says, look, somebody, somebody may try to force their way into my presence, but if their heart is not right, they do not need to come. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this and I need to watch myself very carefully. But I was, I was reading Ezekiel today and loved ones, even the, the most the most distressing judgment that God put upon the priests of Israel who were not seeking him. He said, you'll still come to the temple. You'll still do your stuff. My words, not his, but you will not come near me. You'll approach altars, but you won't approach me. You'll come into a holy room, but you won't see a holy God because the spirit is leaving the temple as a foreshadowing of the judgment that is coming upon Israel and the temple will be destroyed. But long before the temple was destroyed, God spoke to the priests and said, something far worse is happening to you. The destruction of the temple is nothing. The worst thing for you is that you will come to the temple, but I will not be found by you. That's how important it is. Um, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. And Moses went down to the people and told them. Now let's, let's work through a couple of points. I want to talk about the glory of God on the mountain. And then I want to talk about the griping of the Israelites. And, and I, and I want to be careful here because 
um, every preacher at some point or another goes to that sermon on griping and he's just had enough and he just pulls it out and he's pre he preaches it about every four or five years. Um, God forbid that, that that's not what's happening here. I, I learned a long time ago that if you want to fuss at people about griping, the, the Wednesday night crowd's not the one to do it to, you know. Um, so I, 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 I want you to understand this is not me venting. This is me trying to lay down some principles that I think are, are very important principles for us. Um, I'm about to say something that some of you are going to have trouble with, might keep you awake tonight. Um, the priority of our lives, we have been told and every, and, and Tommy's heard me say this, this is not a difference between me and Pastor Tommy. Um, I, I've been told all my life, every time we had missions convention or whatever, whether it's at Southeastern when we had our mission celebration, we get told every year the most important thing to the Lord is the Great Commission. The, you know, go into the world and preach the gospel. And that's, that's the number one thing on the heart of God. And, and loved ones, I, I want to tell you that as important as evangelism is, I don't think that's number one in the heart of God. I think number one in the heart of God is intimacy with God. Now, I think evangelism is probably right behind that. And, and in fact, it may even be almost parallel with it. Both evangelism and intimacy with God can be conducted with wrong motives and methods, but everything we do for him is better if we do it from his presence. You see, I have found that if I stay in the presence of God, I make a lot fewer mistakes than if I go on my own. I have found through the years, and, and I have seen congregations, this one mostly, I have seen millions, literally millions of dollars brought into the uh, work of the Lord through missions. I'm so thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. Millions of dollars. But I, I know that the best work I can do as a pastor is not raising money for missions. And I'm going to do my best in two weeks. Uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to give in a year of uncertainty. Uh, those of you that have limped through 2020... <laughs> Go back to the, the, the fountains where you threw in those coins wishing for an end of the year. Dig them out and we want to have a record year for missions in, in 2021. I'm going to ask you to give again. Um, I, I, I pray that before I step aside and, and uh, start raising goats or something in my last years, I hope that we get to the point where we're bringing in a million dollars a year for missions. I want the church paid off and I want us raising a million dollars a year for missions. I want that with all of my heart. But the best thing I can do as a pastor is teach everyone and encourage everyone and lead everyone to walk in intimacy with God. Because if you walk in intimacy with God, you'll give to missions. If you walk in intimacy with God, you'll have a heart for the lost. And that's what we're seeing here. God is trying to establish the importance of something. And it looks at the surface like he's saying, well, you know, stay away. Don't, don't, don't cross the line. Stay away. But that's what God is doing is saying there's a, there's a time you can come if you'll take it seriously. But right now it would destroy you. Can I tell you that one of the most dangerous ways to live is to know the presence of God but not honor the presence of God. Um, you see four prerequisites that God was trying to put in the heart of the people. He was trying to get them to show a willingness to obey. He was trying to get them to develop a sensitivity for listening. He was trying to get them to walk in the discipline of consecration. And he was trying to help them understand how to demonstrate a reverence for God. Um, I, I not only was in Ezekiel today, I was in Genesis today as God was speaking to me about some things and, and loved ones, I've got some, I've got some deep stuff that I want to share with you in the coming weeks as God gives me liberty to do that. Um, we, I, I, I there's some things that are really burning on my heart, but I, I want to tell you one of the things that I think God is doing, you know, we think everything right now is about an election. Um, 
and the election is important and how that election gets resolved is important. But I think what God is doing in his church is just as important, if not more so than what he's doing in the country. I've said, I've already gone on record that I said, I believe we're under judgment. I believe our nation is under judgment. But I've also said this, I believe our church, not our church, like Christian life, but I mean the church in America is under judgment as well. Judgment begins first in the house of God. And we, we're complaining about folks that don't see things the way we do. But loved ones, God, before he can do what he wants to do in a nation, has got to do what he wants to do in his church. And the church is about to learn something that we didn't sign up for. You're about to get a degree in a course with courses you didn't even sign up for. It's taken us by surprise. But when, when God came to Abraham, I mean, this was a, this was a, a wild thing in Genesis 18 and 19. Justin, give me a warning. If God tells you I need a warning, give me a warning. Um, I, I, I want to give him time to conclude in prayer. That's what I'm talking about, the warning. I, I, um, God came in the flesh. I mean, and we're not talking about Jesus. I mean, Jesus did come in the flesh. But in Genesis 18 and 19, in, at least in chapter 18, God comes in the flesh. He appears as one of three men that came to the tent of Abraham. Now we assume, we, we know that one of them was God because before the conversation's over and before the chapter ends, he's talking about, I will do this. And Abraham's talking to him, will the Lord of all the earth not do right? Okay, I will do this. So we know one of them was God in the flesh. The other two we assume are angels because we see them in Genesis 19 in Sodom talking to Lot and they are saying they're under orders and they can't bring judgment. They're sent to bring judgment, but they can't bring judgment until Lot and his family are out of the city. Why? Because Abraham has been praying for him. Okay. So you got three men that come and Abraham recognizes that this is a divine moment. Every child of God ought to come to church. And I, and I know that we have to do live streaming right now and we'll always do live streaming, but I hope, and, and live streaming is especially for those who can't be here, but I hope you never get so comfortable with live streaming that you think you don't need to come back to church. I mean, there will always be a need for live streaming. There will always be a need for folks to have church who can't come to church. I understand that. I have no problem with that at all. But every child of God ought to understand the power and the anointing and the invasion of heaven when we come together and God shows up. It, there ought to be something so special that according to Acts chapter 2, the, the lost come in. And we, sometimes we're so concerned about making it, you know, palatable for the community and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with making it better and easier for somebody to understand. But there ought to be something about the church service where people from the outside say, what does this mean? I mean, there ought to be such a presence of God that there is something that is not understandable to the natural mind. What does this mean? They said in Acts 2. And then at the end of the manifestation when Peter explained what it is that they were seeing, they said, what should we do? I tell you, the church, if it's an evangelistic church, it will have services that cause people to say, what just happened? And what do I do? What do I need to do? And Abraham recognized the presence of God. He bows low to the ground. He welcomes them. He calls a servant. He tells his wife to make her favorite banana nut bread or whatever it was. And he says, you know what he did while he was entertaining these guests? Uh, or he, he prepared a feast for them. I mean, they have appetizers. They have delicacies. They have the best meat that was available. They have the finest bread that was provided. He prepares a feast for them, okay? And then the other two, two of the angels, the one that was not God, I mean, the, the ones that were not God, 
the one that was God stays behind and begins to talk to Abraham and and he says that he's going to bring judgment and so forth. And that's when you have that conversation. Lord, if there are 50 found, 50 righteous found, will you spare the city? 40, 30, 20 to 10. And God says, yes, I will, if, you, if we can find 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. And, and Abraham is pouring out his heart. And guys, I want to say this. Um, I, 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 I hear almost exclusively about Abraham's boldness. He got God down to 10. Uh, it was not boldness. It was humility. It was abject spiritual poverty where he pleads before the Lord. And my generation was taught that if you want to get answers to your prayer, be bold, demand what you want. Almost as though God owes us. Forgive us Lord is a good prayer. But Abraham in abject spiritual poverty, that's why Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of God belongs to them. They understand something that prosperity teachers don't understand. And he prepares a feast. Okay, now while he does that, after they had eaten, the other two go into Sodom. At the close of day, they come to the city gates just before the gates are closed and they find Lot and Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. That meant that he was either um, the equivalent of mayor or on a town council. He was uh, high up in the city. And the Bible says that the men of Sodom were sinners exceedingly before the Lord. Ezekiel talks about them and says they showed no compassion. They showed no mercy. They did not care for justice. They did not care for the poor. I mean, they were wicked sexually. They were wicked uh, ethically. They were, they were hard-hearted. But these two men walk in and they say, okay, well, we're in the city. We're going to sleep in the streets. And Lot says, no, 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 no. He knew what the city was like. He says, come to my house. And they said, no, no, we'll be in the street. Now you find out later, they were well able to take care of themselves. But Lot was so worried about him because I want to tell you something. Like Abraham, Lot recognized the presence of the divine. I want to tell you one of the most frightening, terrifying conditions to be in is to have your heart linked to the world and think you're okay because you recognize the anointing. He brings them into his house and what does he do? He gives them bread and water. Now, there could have been something else, but the scripture emphasized bread and water. And I, and I think this is important because with Abraham, it listed all of the delicacies that he fed these men and Lot feeds them bread and water. Now, look at this. Abraham and Lot, one living a, uh, an anointed or righteous life one compromised, locked in on the world. Uh, Peter, it says that living in Sodom vexed his righteous soul. And that does not mean that he said, oh, this is just a wicked place and I'm going to be a light in this dark place. It means that it, it tripped him up continually. When it says it vexed his righteous soul, it meant he thought he could live for God without offending the world. He thought he could live a righteous life without leaving Sodom. And it was impossible. And what I want to leave with you tonight before we kind of wrap this thing up is this. I believe we are rapidly approaching the day when it's no longer going to be possible for Abrahams and Lots to dwell together anymore. I mean, it came to the point where they couldn't dwell together and some decisions had to be made. And I think one of the things that has brought judgment on the church of the living God in America today is people that, it, it, let me put it to you this way. It all depends on how you host the presence of God. Do you recognize that the presence of God is the most precious treasure you can have and you give it your utmost, you give it everything you've got? You give it all the delicacies of your life. You lay it out there before him. Or do you just say, oh, ooh, I feel God. Here, have some bread and water. I'm telling you, the hand of God is going to be against churches 
that have tipped God when he shows up instead of tipping over and worshiping God when he shows up. Well, I didn't get many amens, but I, I, I think I'm right about that. The atmosphere, there was to be holy awe, holy love, and holy fear. And the goal, the goal was like Abraham had established, friendship with God. Um, I talked to a friend of mine from a Jewish background and he says, it's not possible to be a friend with God. God is, God is up here. And when, when the scripture says that Abraham was a friend of God, it didn't mean that he was a friend of God. It, it meant something else altogether. And I listened to him and it just made me more hungry to be a friend of God. Here's my advice to you loved ones. If you do not have a life of intimacy with the Lord, establish a time. I have a time that I devote to the Lord. It's not a slavish between 913 and 1042. It's not that kind of thing. <coughs> but it's a couple of times of the day that the Lord is going to get unless there is some major catastrophe and it's something beyond my control. I've had to learn to say that, you know, if somebody says, Pastor, I, I, I really need to talk to you. Okay, we'll, I'll be glad to talk with you, but it has to be after this or it has to be before this. I, I've learned that I have to do that or crises will always take your time with God. Always. Establish a time. Now be reasonable. Don't say, well, I'm going to get up at three o'clock every morning and pray. You'll wake up in a, in a pool of spittle couple of hours later, realizing you're late for work. No, let it be something practical. Okay. You say, well, I don't, it's, it's, it's hard to establish a time. No, it's not loved ones. It's, it's no more hard than it is. We, we always watch our favorite TV programs. I mean, I know you can record it and watch it, but I'm saying we make room for the things that we want to do. We can, we can establish a time with God. I encourage you to find a place I know God is everywhere, but I also know there's a challenge to me praying everywhere. So I have a place where I get shut in with the Lord. You need to have a list. Um, and, and, and there are days when you pray that you won't even touch the list, but you need some structure. You need to find a readable Bible, get a translation that works for you. And, um, um, and, 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 and let that Bible be your friend and establish the discipline of journaling. Now I preached about all of these things and that's a two week thing right there uh, that I'll talk to you about maybe when we get to the first of the year. But intimacy with God does not happen on accident. You cannot stumble into it. Um, I remember this, uh, not that I was alive back then, but Susanna Wesley 22 or three children. Now, not all of them lived to adulthood, but John Wesley wrote a letter to his mother. That was John Wesley's mother, the mother of John and Charles Wesley and, and 20 something other children. And, and I, I don't remember the exact time, but I, but I think I'm close. He wrote a letter to his mother where he said, oh, how I cherish the memories of and how I miss Thursday mornings at 10 a.m or whatever time it was. And what everybody in the family knew is that 10 a.m., that was her time. Every other child was either responsible for another child or they were out playing or whatever, setting fire to the woods, whatever they do. <coughs> no, that was Corey that did that. Um, but at 10 a.m., this mother of two dozen children focused on one. And for an hour, she focused on John as though he was the only child that she had. And, and Susanna Wesley, you say, well, how, how did she have any time for herself? Well, it was simple. When she sat down in a chair and pulled her apron up over her head, that meant mama's praying, don't bother her. It had to be, I mean, blood had to be spurting to disturb mama when she had her apron pulled up over her head. What I'm saying is you find a way, you find a way. Um, now let's talk real quickly about the griping of the Israelites. Um, 
I want to say this, those who decide to walk with God will inevitably become a target of the enemy. Inevitably. All who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted because of their faith. Uh, King James says, will suffer persecution. Amplified is um, sometimes helpful, sometimes tedious, but sometimes it's worth looking at. But evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Be sober. It means well-balanced, self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Be firm in your faith against his attack, rooted, established, immovable, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world, and you do not suffer alone. Understand that if you make up your mind that you're going to follow the Lord, you are going to become a target of the enemy. It's inevitable. Okay, but remember that God is greater. Look at Numbers 11, 1 through 3. Now the people, this is the, from the time of Moses. Now the people became like those who complain and whine about their hardships and the Lord heard it. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and devoured those in the outlying parts of the camp. So the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire died out. He named that place Tabera, the place of burning because of the fire of the Lord burned among them. I had a professor at Southeastern say this, he says, we live under grace. And he says, thank God for it. But if you want to know how God really feels about things, read the Pentateuch. He said, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God may not always act that way, but you know how God really feels about things. And I'm so thankful he hasn't wiped me out every time I've whined and complained. So glad he doesn't do that to our families. We've got a thing in our family room. I think Ramona's going to make me take it down after all these years, but it's, it says we've been through a lot together. And then in little letters, it says, and most of it was your fault. <laughs> Number two or letter B, there will always be critics and complainers. Um, there are two things that I'm absolutely amazed about coming from 2020. I am amazed at the way so many Christians like you have honored the Lord and walked in faith and been patient during amazing trials and difficulties, continuing to support one another, continuing to support the church. I am amazed at the way there are so many Christians that seem absolutely unshaken. The other thing that amazes me, now I'm not talking about you, the other thing that amazes me is the venom, the criticism, the poison, the hatred, the wrath, the racism, the counter-racism, whatever you, it, the list goes on and on, that is poured out of other Christians' mouths. I, I'm absolutely amazed. I'm absolutely amazed. So we need to understand, and I'm so proud of you, the church, because of the way you've responded. I mean it. I really am. That's not just a, a pep talk. I am so amazed with you, with your faithfulness. But we need to understand there will always be critics and complainers. And we have to be sure that we don't let their toxicity touch our lives because discouragement and depression is more contagious than COVID. And here's the last thing before Justin comes to lead us in prayer. Remember that bugs are always attracted to light. I had, I can't tell you through the years how many people have said, pastor, I'm thankful for what God's doing in the church, but this just seems to always be a spiritual fight in my life. And I'm going to go back to my church because there everything was peaceful. And I'm not being critical of another church, but what I'm saying is this. Yeah. You need to understand, wherever there is heat and light, bugs will swarm. I mean, just look at your porch light in the summer. Don't be surprised in a church that is doing its best, not perfect, but is doing its best to serve God. Don't be surprised when hypocrites 
and critics and complainers flock to the church. It doesn't mean the church is flawed. If anything, it probably means there's light there. And the second thing is this. Godly living is blessed, but it ain't easy. I, 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 boy, I hope nobody's got, I shouldn't even say this now, but I hope nobody's wearing this t-shirt tonight. I closed my eyes so I can't see. But every once in a while, I'll see things like a t-shirt that says, too, too blessed to be stressed. I, I don't know if I want to hug them and say, pray for me or slap them right in the face. You know? Because why, why is it my blessing sufficient that I can't be stressed? I mean, I, 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 I want a shirt that says, blessed, stressed, and put to the test. That's what I want. <laughs> the Lord gave me a promise the first Sunday of 2020, and it was this. He said, I will crown your year with, with bounty and goodness. And then this crap happened. But you know what, as I was, as I'm preparing for next year, the Lord's put the theme on my heart for next year. I looked at that verse that he crowns the year with bounty and success. And loved ones, we've had a, I mean, I, I've, I got the virus. I, we, I went for weeks without, I don't, now I'm just whining. I don't know if you have any idea how difficult it is to pastor a church when you can't be with the sheep. I mean, pastoring doesn't work long distance. And, and I have, I have, my stress has been off the charts. And so I just find myself hovering over Justin every now and then. Just, you okay, buddy? How, you all right? Shepherd just wants to feel that wool, you know. But as I was writing in my journal, you know what? Yeah, this was, this was a tough year. But I, without even having to think about it, I wrote down, I think it was 11 things that were blessings in 2020 that I didn't have in 2019. And, and it, now it was God's amazing provision. It was God's miraculous answer to prayer. Uh, loved ones, I, I want to tell you, this has not been an easy year, but you know what God did? He crowned the year with his bounty. And he blessed me in ways I didn't know. Justin, come pray for us tonight, would you? I'm going to go sit with my wife. <laughs>